Welcome to the Struggling Pastors Podcast, real conversations about ministry and life. My name is Tian Doan, and I am a struggling pastor. Last episode, we uh, talked about feeling the sense of dissatisfaction about the state of the church, you know, where the church is. Um, right now, I don't know any pastor or I haven't talked to any pastor who is completely satisfied with how things are. This has been a, a real tough season uh, for a lot of pastors and for many, many of my friends and many people that I, I, I am acquainted with. Um, a lot of pastors have left the ministry and um, left discouraged and it's, it's just real difficult time. So I wanted to continue uh pick up the conversation there about about dissatisfaction. You know, we we said last time that there's two types of dissatisfaction. There's the um, destructive dissatisfaction, and then there's the productive dissatisfaction. You know, destructive dissatisfaction is saying, look at the church, look at look at how this is. It's a mess. You know, let's just light it on fire and, and just burn it down. Uh, so that's destructive. While a productive dissatisfaction says, hey, look, I know things are a mess, but let's pick up a broom and let's uh, let's make it better. Let's fix things up, right? So uh, I wanted to pick up the conversation from that point. Um, one of the one of my uh, personal philosophies uh, about about how do you make change is uh, is taken from something um, called the Gellicker Dane Miller organizational change formula. And, and, and it's a, it's organizational change theory that, uh, you know, um, businesses and, and other, uh, you know, corporations and, and organizations use, but I kind of simplified it a little bit. So, so the, the change formula is, is this, they, it's, a uh, it's kind of, kind of like an algorithm. It is D V R when it is greater than O. So think about it. Think about like, uh, you know, the thing that you record your, uh, you know, if you got a cable TV, you know, you record your your shows on DVR um, greater than O. So this is how you make change, right? O is the obstacles to change. It is when you feel, you know, like what keeps you from changing, right? That's the that's the obstacles from, from change. So how do you overcome those obstacles uh, to make change? You need DVR. Um, and the, the D is, is dissatisfaction. So the first thing that you need is you need dissatisfaction because if you're content with how things are the way it is, you're never going to change, right? If you're satisfied with, with the, you know, the status quo, um, you're never going to, to, um, lead change, make change happen. So the first, the first part is, you know, is, is dissatisfaction. So that's what we talked about last time, that if you have a productive dissatisfaction, I mean, that's actually a good thing. Right. Because if you want to make change happens, um, you have to have a sense of of a productive dissatisfaction. And, and then the second part of the change formula is is V, which is vision. You need to have a vision for uh, how things are supposed to be. It's a picture of a preferred future. Right. To have this clear uh you know, clear mental image of where you want to take the church, right? So you need dissatisfaction, like, hey, things are a mess, but you also have to have a vision for for what it would look like if if you could fix things, right? So that's D V, and then and then the last one, which I um, last letter is R. What I want to focus on today is the word responsibility. So you need how do you make change happen? So you to overcome your obstacles to change, you need dissatisfaction, vision, and responsibility. Like nothing changes until someone steps up and takes responsibility 
for the change. You know, you could be dissatisfied and complain all you want. You can have a vision for, okay, um, this is what, uh, this is how things could look. But until someone takes personal responsibility, nothing, nothing changes, nothing changes. So let's talk about responsibility and, and, um, the role of helping people take personal responsibility in, in leading change. Personally, I am a huge uh, comic book fan. You know, as a kid, I read all these uh, different comics and there's all the Marvel movies today. Um, my favorite comic book character growing up was Spider-Man. And, you know, there's this line in, in uh, specifically the early Spider-Man movies that Spider-Man's uncle, Uncle Ben, says to, to Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker, he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's the theme of of. Uh, Spider-Man is that if if you have um, power to do something, um, it comes with great responsibility, and and that's you know that's uh, that's where we are, right? So so with great power comes great responsibility, and, and you know I believe that to be true, um, but you know that statement, a lot of us don't think that applies to us because a lot of us don't think we were very powerful that we don't have great power. We feel like we're victims where we feel like we're powerless, that, that all this bad stuff is happening to us. So there's nothing that we can do about it. Right. So, so I want to take the inverse of that statement that uncle Ben said to, to Spider-Man, right. With great power comes great responsibility. I, I want to flip it on its head because I believe the inverse of that statement is actually more true or, or, or also true and more applicable to where we are today. So think about this. With great responsibility comes great power. With great responsibility comes great power. I, I believe that power to make change happen comes from when a person takes responsibility for the problem. Right? I believe that God empowers those who, who take responsibility. You know, the, the Bible tells us that that if you're faithful with a little, God's going to entrust you with more. But if you're unfaithful with what God has already given you, not only is he not going to give you more, he, he just might take away what you have and give it to someone who is more responsible. Right. So so I want to help you, a pastor, to, number one, take personal responsibility for making change happen. But not, not only that, um, to help your people take personal responsibility. Right. Like, how do you make change happen? First, first, it starts with dissatisfaction. Right. You need to feel a sense of dissatisfaction. Right. Um, and then you need to have a vision about where God is taking you. And, and then you need to take personal responsibility and then help other people take personal responsibility. I, I think that's the way forward. That's what I'm trying to do with with uh, my church. This is what I'm trying to help um, the pastors that I mentor. Um, that's this is what I'm helping them to do. You know, why why complain about things when we could just take personal responsibility? So a a biblical story that I, I want to share with you that is kind of the inspiration behind these thoughts about, about dissatisfaction, vision, and and responsibility is the story of Nehemiah. Um I love I love the the, the book of Nehemiah. And you know, Nehemiah is is a story about someone who who took personal responsibility to solve a problem and God used them to change the world, right? He, uh, he, he took responsibility. He saw a terrible problem. It broke his heart. And even though he had nothing to do with causing the problem, he took personal responsibility. 
and then and then he 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 asked other people to take personal responsibility and he changed the world right and and the thing i, I love about nehemiah is that he he's a um kind of an unusual character because because he's not a spiritual leader at all like Nehemiah actually doesn't know the scriptures very well because he he was raised in exile in Babylon. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He wasn't even a spiritual leader. He, you know, he didn't grow up studying the scriptures. They lost the scriptures at that time, right? So he barely knew the Bible. At this point, Nehemiah had never even been to the temple. He'd never offered sacrifice for his sins. Nowhere in the book of Nehemiah does does he off like does it says that God spoke to him. He never did any miracles, right? And and as a Jew, he had never even been to Israel. He had never been to Jerusalem. He was born and raised in, in Persia. And he, he had no spiritual upbringing, but, you know, he he worked. He was kind of like a, a low-level bureaucrat in, in Persia. He was like an intern or a butler to the king of Persia. But God used him uh, to, to change his world, right? And um, in it's kind of interesting. Let me, let me read uh, Nehemiah to you. Uh, the first um, uh, few verses of, of the book of Nehemiah It says the words of, of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah it says, now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the Synodel, that Hanani, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I, I sat down, I wept, I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So, so this is interesting. Um, when ne- Nehemiah was in, in Persia, you know, doing his job, and he 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 when he heard the bad news about Jerusalem, it broke his heart. You know, Nehemiah. It's interesting because you know he assumed things were were getting better by now because um, the walls of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, not just not recently; it's been a hundred and forty-one years since Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, right? And right at this point, the Babylonian Empire doesn't even exist anymore. The Babylonian Empire was taken over, overthrown by the Persian Empire, and um, it, it's been over seventy years since the the temple was was rebuilt. It's been about thirteen years since Ezra, the prophet Ezra, led. The, the the first group of Jews to return to Jerusalem, right? So he assumed, hey, it's been a while. God, you know, the temple, the, the they found, they restored the temple. Ezra uh, led people to resettle. Things must be going pretty well now. And then when he got word, and it said that the city was still a mess and the people were, were still in great trouble and shame, it says it, it broke his heart. And that started the dissatisfaction, right? So that's a D. And then, so, so, so the, the point that I, uh, I'm trying to make is, okay, it starts with dissatisfaction, but then he had a vision, right? He had a vision for, okay, what would it look like if, if it was restored? Um, and then he had a vision uh, of, of rebuilding the walls. You know, he made a plan. He says, you know, um, I need this much lumber. I need this much men. I need this much resources. He went to the king. Uh, King of Persia, and he asked for permission. He took responsibility. That's what I want to show show you. He took personal responsibility for fixing the situation. So it, it didn't just start with, it didn't just end with dissatisfaction and vision. 
but he took personal responsibility. And then when he, he took personal responsibility, he says, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to gather all, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to gather all the um, necessary permits and permission. I'm going to fundraise and, and get the king to, to, you know, pay for the, the wood and the supplies. That was his part. And then eventually he shows up to Jerusalem and he speaks to the people and he asks the people to take responsibility for doing their part, right? In, in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, it says this. He says, he, he's speaking to the, the people, the Jews in Jerusalem, right? He says this. He says, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He says, come, let, let us do this. Do you see the trouble we are in? So he's he's sharing the responsibility, and he's asking them to take responsibility for their part, right? And says, the people of Jerusalem all re- replied with one voice. It says, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now, now, so the amazing thing is this. At this point, Nehemiah was about to do lead the people of Israel to do the impossible. The walls were broken down for 141 years, and Ezra's been trying to, he's, he spent 13 years trying to fix things, and still everything's a mess. And when Nehemiah shows up, he takes personal responsibility for doing his part. He asks everyone there to take personal responsibility for doing their part. They start rebuilding the wall, and they get the job done. You know how long it takes them? It takes them only 52 days, right? Just a few weeks. Just uh, under, under two months, they get this job done that seemed impossible. It seemed impossible. And, and you know, there's great power in taking personal responsibility and helping people take personal responsibility. Because what, what, he, what he did was this. He told all the people in Jerusalem to say to do this. It's like, hey, this is a big job, but I just want you to do your part. You don't have to worry about the whole thing, right? You don't have to worry about, about you know, fixing all, like every problem. Just do your part. Take personal responsibility for doing your part. And if, if we all did our part, the job will get done in no time. So he, he divided up the work. Uh, if you read on, it describes in, in chapter three and four uh, how the work goes. They, he tells them to focus on rebuilding the section of wall that is closest to their house. You know, uh, the priests and the Levites, they were, uh, you know, trying to fix the temple and the gates and then he assigned other jobs. But for the most people, he says, just start by cleaning up your front yard. Just, just do your part. Just, just focus on doing your part. And if your neighbor does his part, and and the the other guy down the road does their part, we'll all get the job done in no time if we all take personal responsibility for doing our part. Right. So that's that's DVR, and they they get this job done in in fifty two days. So. How does this apply to the state of the church today? I, I think this is the answer to our problems. Like we're trying to figure out what is the way forward? What is the way? You know, the church is a mess right now. Like I, I feel dissatisfaction because there's disunity. We, we're divided. We become worldly. We've been uh, 
too political. We've been too unloving and judgmental and, and fighting among ourselves and taking sides and, and you know, judging one another for, for all these crazy reasons, right? Um, we're critical. Uh, we're, we're disconnected with one another. Um, so so what, what, what do we do? How, how do we fix this mess? Well, this is what I'm trying to do with my church. This is what I'm trying to lead my pastors and my, my um, mentoring group, my network to do is help your people take personal responsibility for doing their part, right? So like to stop blaming and complaining, but to take personal responsibility and, and this, you know, and to start where they are, right? So, so this is, uh, this is what I'm telling my church that they need to do that they need to take personal responsibility for doing at least four things. And that if they did these four things that this would, I mean, this will solve the majority of the problems. Like we would get close to being on the right track if we all took personal responsibility for these four things. Okay. So, so how do we make change? How, how do we turn the corner? Like, Ask your people to take personal responsibility for doing these four things. So, okay, what are these four things? Number one, I will take personal responsibility for, number one, training myself in godliness. That, that, that's something that no one else, that I can't, I can't shift that responsibility. So I'm asking right now, my people, Will you take personal responsibility for training yourself in godliness? You know, in, in um, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some, some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And, and, and what he's saying is like, hey, ignore all that godless useless chatter ignore all those whatever conspiracy theories or whatever just like ignore all that stuff just focus on training yourself for godliness train yourself for godliness and the word train is the word gymnazo you know it's it's the word gymnasium that you have to go there you got to do the work you got to put in the work because paul could teach him right but it's still like i could show you what to do but you need to still wake up early and train yourself so I think part, a lot of the a lot of the problems right now in the church is because we we've turned we we turned the primary ministries of the church into um, uh, into consumerism, right? The people see us as you know a a purveyor of religious goods and services. Um, uh, you know they're they're like we we like it is up to they think that it's up to us to to, tr to make them more godly. It's like, we, I can't make you more godly. I could teach you. I could show you, I could equip you, but, but you know what? It's up to you to apply the stuff. Like I can't get you up in the morning to pray. I can't force you to read the Bible, um, in, with an obedient heart. I can't do that, that you need to do that stuff. You need to commit to taking personal responsibility for training yourself in godliness. So I, I, I think it starts there. I think that's the first commitment, the first responsibility that that we need to teach our people to, to take. 
right? So teach your people to take personal responsibility for training themselves in godliness. The second responsibility that I believe we need to uh, encourage our people to to take is this, is that, that I will take personal responsibility for caring for my brothers and sisters, caring for my brothers and sisters, right? Like a lot of people right now are, are complaining about how the church is an unloving, uncaring place. And they're like, you know, this place is, is you know, not encouraging, is judgmental, is, is whatever. They don't take care of my needs. And I want to shift the focus of responsibility to say, you know what, the way we you know that may be true. I'm not. I'm not denying that the church hasn't become hasn't been a safe place for for many people. But how do we fix it? Well, we fix it by helping individual people take personal responsibility for caring for each other. Uh, caring like the way forward is when every member of the church, every every Christian, if they take personal responsibility for caring for their brothers and sisters. Right. Um, Galatians chapter six, verse one and two, it says, um, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So what we do is we need to help people learn to take responsibility for caring for one another. It says, like, how do you fulfill the law of Christ? It says, carry each other's burdens, care for one another. And the church will become a more caring, loving place, not when the pastor makes house calls or, you know, preaches sermons on, on, you know, caring for one another. The church will become a caring, loving place once again, when each member takes personal responsibility to care for their brothers and sisters. I mean, that's, I mean, that sounds so simple, but man, what if we actually did this? What if, what if we taught each person to take personal responsibility for, for listening, for nurturing, for caring for one another? I mean, that, that, that would be radical. That would, be, that would solve a lot of the problems of our disunity right now and our distrust. Right? So taking personal, second responsibility is taking personal responsibility for caring for your brothers and sisters. The third responsibility that I would ask people to take and I'm asking my people to take is this. I will take personal responsibility for number three, finding my unique assignment from God, finding my unique assignment from God. Like I believe each Christian was created uniquely by God and and is given a special, unique calling and assignment for us to fulfill. Ephesians 2.10. You know, it says we are his workmanship, his masterpieces created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right. So so before God saved us, before God created us, he had intended uh, a uh, each of us. He prepared beforehand before we were even born certain certain assignments for us to fulfill. It says that good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, right? We should walk in these good works, walk in this path, this assignment, complete, find and fulfill this assignment. And, you know, this is the thing. 
it's it's one thing to say to a a person, hey, God has a plan for you. And a person's like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But but if we give them the responsibility, hey, it is your responsibility to find and fulfill your assignment that God has created you for. Like as a pastor, like I'm not giving out assignments. I'm not I'm not like it's not up to me to figure out what God's God's plan for you is. Right. That's not my role. My role is to teach you, to care for you. My role is to equip you. My role is not like if you don't find your assignment, like, am I responsible for that? If, if you don't look for it, if you don't care for that, if you don't like that, that is up to you. Right. God is like so we need to teach our people. We need to encourage our people. We need to give them the responsibility to say, hey, as a follower of Jesus, God has given you a special assignment and it is your responsibility to find and fulfill that assignment. I will help you. I'll come alongside you. I'll equip you. I'll coach you in it. But ultimately, it is your responsibility to find and fulfill your unique assignment from God. Right. So like if every imagine this, what if every person in, in, in your congregation knew what their assignment from God was? And they worked really, really hard to fulfill that assignment. Like, imagine what that would look like if every minute, every member of your church is a minister serving in the area that God designed them for. Right. Instead, right now we have, you know, we have consumers, we have people, you know, and the thing with consumerism, man, like we like we're finicky consumers. Right. We, we 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 think about leaving one star reviews if, if our expectations aren't being met. You know, a lot of uh, right right now, a lot of it's crazy because a lot of church, a lot of Christians um, identified not with one one church, but they identify with fellowshipping with multiple churches. And, you know, it, it's because it's consumerism. It's like because, you know what, I I go to Starbucks for this and I go to, you know, Pete's coffee for this and I go to, you know, for, and I, you know, I buy cheap coffee at Trader Joe's and I do, you know, so, the, so they're, they, they go to different churches or they're involved with different churches for different reasons. And they have this consumer mentality. Um, but what if we flip that and we said, okay, it's not about consumerism. It's about helping you find your unique assignment and and I want to encourage you to do that, right? So what if what if every person was no longer a consumer, but they every person saw themselves as a contributor, a, a minister? And I think that that's radical. I think that would change, you know, that would help us dig us ourselves out of this hole that we're in, right? So that's that's a third thing I would um, that I encourage you to share with your people, teach them how to take personal responsibility for finding their unique assignment uh, from God, okay? So so that's the third responsibility. The fourth responsibility is this. I will take personal responsibility for learning how to make disciples, learning how to make disciples. You know, right now, like that, the, the one of the reasons why we're in the mess that we're in is is no one's making disciples. Like whose responsibility is, is it to make disciples? Is it the pastors? Is it um, like, we don't, we need more disciple makers in the church, 
right? We need more disciple makers. Um, Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, he like, w- this is something that's passed down that each person, he's like, you heard, you, Timothy, you heard from me. Now I want you to take the personal responsibility to take all the things that I taught you and to entrust it in other people who will also pass it on to other people, right? And and so that's one of the, that's one of the the most important responsibility. What's missing in the church is no one's taking responsibility for making disciples, right? Because because right now a lot of pastors are focused on programming and focused on on you know just just preaching sermons and um, trying to figure out technology, trying to whatever, just hold things together. But who's actually actively actively taking responsibility for making disciples, right? So in the church right now, um, people would say, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I know we're supposed to make disciples, but I don't, I don't know how. So, well, are you going to learn? Whose responsibility? Like, you need to take personal responsibility for learning, right? I, I learning how to make disciples. You know, the, the the best thing I've I've done in the past several years is to intentionally take several cohorts of of people and teach them how to make disciples you know, a, a intentional disciple maker training process. And um, I, man, it's, it's just so worthwhile that you are discipling them in how to make disciples, right? So, so I think that's a game changer. Um, teaching people to take personal responsibility for learning how to make disciples. Right, so, so let me review. Four responsibilities, I think, like if, if we like, how do we make things better? How do we turn this ship around? Help people take personal responsibility for, for four things. Number one, training themselves in godliness. Number two, caring for their brothers and sisters. Number three, finding and fulfilling their u- unique assignment from God. And then number four, learning how to make disciples, learning how to become a, an intentional disciple maker. And that, I think that's the good work. That's the good work. And just like Nehemiah and, and the Jews who rebuilt the wall, as each person focused on doing the good work, taking responsibility for doing their part, they focused on it and they got they did the impossible in 52 days. And this is what I believe. I believe if we got our people to do to focus on doing their part in doing these four things, because these four things no one can do for them, right? They, they need to take personal responsibility for these four things. But, but if we led our people to taking personal responsibility for these four things, man, if they put their hand to this good work, I believe that this is how we make change and this is how revival happens. Right? I mean, I I I I believe that if Nehemiah were here, right? If if Nehemiah, this is what he would say to us, right? I I, I want to um close our conversation with with the words of Nehemiah. Adjusted for for the church today, right? You know, what Nehemiah said to the people of Jerusalem in rebuilding the wall, um, what would he say to us? 
if Nehemiah were here, I think this is what he would say. He says, do you see what uh, the trouble we are in? The church lies in ruins. Come, let us rebuild the church, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I hope we will all reply just like, just like they did in saying, let us start rebuilding. Let us begin this good work. So, um, struggling pastor, I just wanted to encourage you. Like, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Your dissatisfaction is a catalyst for change. You need to have vision, but you need to teach people. You need to take personal responsibility for doing your part, but you need to help other people, um, the people of God. You need to teach them how they need to take personal responsibility for doing their part. Right. So that's how we that's how we move forward. That's how we we overcome the obstacles. Right. DVR, dissatisfaction, vision and responsibility. Thank you for listening to the Struggling Pastors podcast. My name is Tian Doan, and I hope this has been helpful to you. If you found it helpful, I appreciate if you would share this podcast with a fellow struggling pastor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me close with a Bible verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Pastor, do not give up. Until next time, God bless you.